I think it's typical of a lot of us, if we're being honest, times come in our life where we just, you feel like you get stuck in this cycle. And those things of hope and peace and joy, you seem like the person that is, that those things are always eluding you. You never get a break. When the text that we read today, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for a festival of some sort. We don't get a detail as to what Jewish festival it was, but it was something that would have taken him back to Jerusalem. And he comes across a man at a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And here we see in John's Gospel the third sign as to who Jesus Christ is. So let's read it together in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. One of these profound miracles that really, as a sign, sets in motion yet another component leading to Christ's death. And this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. There's a lot of moving parts and components to what's going on here. Um, And before you think I've gone all kind of weird, faith healer, you know, on you, um, we're going to talk about healing today, but we're going to talk about it in a, in a biblical sense and get at the root of how some folks can begin to break this cycle or see this cycle broken in their life. And it all starts with this interesting question that Jesus asked. In my opinion, this miracle that happened hinges around two things. It hinges around the question that Jesus asked this man. He said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's kind of like a a question that should cause this man to say, duh. Why would you even ask such a ridiculous question? But I think it needed to be asked. Obviously, because the Lord asked him of this. 38 years this man had been an invalid. And yet Jesus felt compelled to ask him, after 38 years of sickness, do you want to get well? So the question behind the question is this, why would Christ even bother to ask him that? I think it's because of what I call the dysfunctional cycle of healing. The dysfunctional cycle of healing. There's three things that people get caught up in that prevent them from actually receiving true healing in their life. And we see it evidenced in this man right here, which causes Jesus to ask the question to his face, 
very forthright, do you want to get well? Because sometimes we get stuck in this cycle of dysfunction that prevents us from experiencing real healing in our lives. Let me illustrate what I, I, I'm saying here. As we throw up the cycle here, the first component that prevents us from actually being and experiencing healing in our life is sin. Sin is the, the key component that sort of drives all the other aspects of this dysfunctional cycle. But, but sin and, and the other two aspects play into us. They affect us. Sin and its influence of sin, it's kind of like the, the age-old question. Why, have you ever asked this, why do our life circumstances happen to us? And maybe this man, I'm sure he asked it a million times in his life. Why am I, for 38 years, laying here as an invalid, and people who are perfectly healthy in life are passing me by every single day? Why me? I don't know about you, but I know I've caught myself asking that question many times. I would guess that you have too. At some point in time in your life, something's happened to you, and you've said, maybe you've even thrown your arms up in the air, you've said to God, why me? Why is this happening to me? And if it keeps happening over and over again, it builds into this dysfunctional cycle, as you'll see again in a minute. But the age-old question is answered with this one word. Why are these things happening to me? And I'll tell you, three letters, S-I-N, sin. The reason bad things happen to bad people is because of sin. The reason bad things happen to good people is because of sin. And you may say to yourself, look, Pastor, you got me confused. Like, I get that like bad things happen to bad people, and I know a lot of bad people, and they probably got some stuff coming their way, to be honest, but... But for me, you know, I work a good job, I raise a decent family, you know, I put a roof over the head of my children, you know, I make a decent living, um, I even give to church, it's all good. So why is bad stuff happening to me if I'm a good person? Well, therein lies a deeper question. When somebody asks me that, the simple answer is, you don't have a full understanding of Scripture, and you don't understand God's sovereignty. Here's the deal. Sin exists in everybody's life. Everybody. It's pervasive. It's, it's an infection that has touched everybody's heart. It's so deep and ingrained in humanity that everybody, if not on a surface level, is sick with it at a heart level. Um, but the other thing I think you'll see today is that from God's perspective, sin is something that can also end up being glorifying, not to you, but to Him. God allows for our situations that are dark, hurtful, painful, crippling. God allows for those things in our life. And the question for the maturing believer in Christ is to ask the question, why? For the purpose of glorification to the Father and a growing faith in us. Sometimes things happen like cancer. Sometimes things happen like rended or broken relationships. They happen because of the inherent sin that's in the world. We live in a broken world. You can go back to the book of Genesis and you can see that when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, not just Adam and Eve's life was changed, but everything about the world changed at that point in time. The very creation that surrounds us in the world became corrupted. And circumstances became more difficult as part of God's judgment on sin. The things about the world changed. Uh, and, and we see a couple of these judgments pronounced by God in the book of Genesis that childbearing would become an extremely painful and difficult process for women. We see that the toil of man's hands to provide food and shelter and a living for his family would become more difficult because of things like thorns and thistles and weeds in the ground. Agriculture was corrupted at that time. Sin 
has so deeply, I can't even stress this enough this morning, sin has so broken this world that it's actually unfair to expect that something horrible or difficult or challenging or painful isn't going to happen to you in your life. Sometimes things happen because of the inherent sin that started in in Genesis that is now part of each one of our lives. And sometimes Scripture shows us that bad things, difficult things, painful things happen to us because of individual sinful choices that we make in our life. Sometimes you just get cancer not because you've done anything wrong, but because the world is sick with sin. Sometimes we do things like drink ourselves almost to death and we kill our bodies in the process. Sometimes we make decisions in life that are going to render ourselves sick or that are going to break relationships and cause pain. Alcohol and drug abuse and theft, even the inability to control our own tongue is going to bring pain in your life And I guarantee you it's going to bring pain into somebody else's life as well. But somewhere in the painful circumstances of your life, sin is the common denominator. This man, when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well, Jesus has already begun at that moment to mine or dig for something that's deeper in this man's life than simply the ailment that he had been afflicted with for 38 years. The dude knew he was sick. The dude knew he wanted to get well. He, this gentleman knew he wanted to get well. How do I know? Because for 38 years, he laid by this poolside waiting for somebody to take him into the water to try and experience some sort of miraculous healing. The, the myth, the legend at this time, was that angels came down, they touched or stirred the water, And the first person that got into the water after the water was stirred would receive some sort of divine, magical healing. This guy waited all these years. He couldn't get to the water by himself because he was crippled. So he's hoping that someday somebody would be there that could carry him into the water in order to be healed. And it never happened, and it never happened. So for Jesus say, do you want to get well? This guy's probably like, yeah. He said, of course I do. I mean, I've been waiting here. Nobody's taking me down to the water. So sin is this sort of first component in all of our lives that sets this dysfunctional cycle in place. But the second thing that we come across is not only the influence of sin, but then the influence of desperate need that sin develops in our life. For this man, the desperate need was... I'm an invalid, I can't walk to the water, I have no healing, I'm I'm sick and broken, and look how sorry my life is. The man had spent 38 years sick. His physical ailment was his his focus. His problem in life, his, his sickness had become his everything, his existence. Have you met anybody like that? Maybe you've been that person that you've gotten so sick so corrupted, so hurt in your life that the thing that is hurting you has consumed you. It has almost become your identity, hasn't it? Have you ever met anybody like that? That their sickness has become their identity. Their pain and their hurt has become their identity. I think this number of years, 38 years, it's a very specific number for God to use and include in Scripture. And we should ask the question, why? Why would God specify 38 years of this man's life? He could have just said, for years. He could have said, for over a generation. But the number was 38. It tells us how desperate this man was, I think. And it also tells us that there was public knowledge about this man's condition. He wasn't alone in this. 38 years, if this man was present for 38 years at this poolside, a lot of people would have been aware of his condition. Um, 
And God will use that. The interesting thing about sin, well, I think you can see why Christ would choose this man as a sign or a miracle. People knew him. They knew how long he had been sick. And they knew what, how serious of a desperate situation this man was in. And God was about to do something very glorifying of himself. And something that was going to anger a lot of self-righteous, religious type people. The interesting thing about sin is that it, if it's not a need for this type of healing, like this man was hoping for, it's, it's deliverance in some other area of life that we're looking for. Maybe you can't relate to this guy. I mean, maybe you've never struggled with a long-term illness or something that's so crippling as this. But maybe it's that quiet battle that you're constantly fighting. Depression. Self-doubt. Or hatred towards yourself. Um, maybe it's, it's a lifelong anger that you have towards somebody or maybe everybody or towards God. Maybe it's joblessness. I mean, it's this constant cycle of one job after another and never being able to feel content. Maybe you lost a child and you're still just haunted by that. Maybe you've suffered some financial loss that has just put you in a hole that you think you'll never get out of. Everybody, everybody, I can almost guarantee this, everybody at some point in time in their life is going to get to a place where either the consequences of our sinful actions or the fact that we live in a sinful world is going to lead us to a place of desperate, desperate need. Desperate need. Now what happens is, as we see in this man's life, sin and the sin nature and the sin in the world leads to a situation or circumstance that causes desperate need that affects us. And what happens if the cycle isn't broken at this point in a healthy way, the desperate need is going to lead to what I call the influence of empty religion or quick fixes. Empty religion or quick fixes. Uh, and our culture is prone to this, especially here in Western culture. Right? There's a pill for that. There's a, there's a, a, a life hack that will get you out of your particular situation. And sometimes, usually, these things may solve something in the immediate, but they don't fix the problem permanently. Because if you're sick with something now, and a quick fix alleviates that, maybe for a month or a year or a couple years, I guarantee you there's going to be another desperate need knocking on your door sooner or later. The desperate need here results in this man trusting and getting into the water for some sort of magical healing. This was his quick fix. For 30-some years, this man believed in the quick fix. I would think that after like maybe six months, I'd be saying, the quick fix isn't working. But he goes at it. And when Jesus steps in, we see that the focus of the religionists, the, the chief teachers of the law, they could care less if this guy ever experienced any kind of healing, if this cycle in his life was ever broken, all they cared about is that this man kept the traditions of the law. That's all they cared about. Hey, uh, I don't care that you're walking and that this miracle has happened to you. You know, I'm glad you're walking, but I'm really not. Because what I'm telling you now is you shouldn't be carrying your mat and walking. It's the Sabbath. What a joke. This guy was just giving his legs back after 38 years of sickness. And their concern as religionists, was don't move too far on the Sabbath because then it's work. And I want to tell you something. Jesus pushed this button on purpose. 
He could have healed this man any day of the week, could he not? And he healed him on the Sabbath, knowing what kind of controversy this was going to stir up. I love that about Jesus. Usually, our dependence upon quick fixes and circumstances and maybe the empty religion of the religionists that are in your life push us even deeper into sinful dependencies and even more desperation. This cycle will keep going unless something outside of this cycle breaks it. You may even have somebody in your mind or maybe a time in your life where you were caught in this cycle. Sin, sin in the world, sinful choices in your life led to an awful, desperate situation, a sickness, a a problem, an affliction in your life, which led to seeking out quick fixes, trying to solve the problem and uh, yourself. And then when that doesn't work, it pushes you into an even deeper sinful place, which eventually leads you to even more desperation and problems, which again pushes you into the quick fix and looking for some sort of religious solution to your problem. And the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. For years, this man was caught in this cycle. Hence, why our Lord comes to him and says, do you want to get well? And if I could take a little liberty and just add one word here, do you really want to get well? We become embittered and angry when the fixes don't work and it just fuels more sin and desperation. So how's this cycle broken? How's it broken? I'll be dead honest with you. Ultimately, this cycle can't be broken by you or me or someone you trust. Anybody in this room, a psychologist outside this room, a pill that you're going to take somewhere. This cycle will continue in a person's life, and if it's not one problem, it's another that's going to keep feeding it and feeding it. So how do you break the cycle? Well, first is just this simple realization. Only Jesus can break the cycle. Only Christ can break this cycle. Jesus saw this man. He knew he'd been there a long time. He knew this man's cycle was exhausting. And Jesus is the one here who takes the initiative. It's not the man crying out to the Lord in faith. It's the Lord going after, chasing down the man. And there's a deeper truth there I won't dig into this morning too much. But we see it again in the beginning of the apostles' ministry in the early church in Acts chapter 3. Maybe you remember this this, uh, testimony. Let me share it with you again. He said, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. You know what that is? That's his quick fix. That's his solution. If he just gets enough money someday, he'll be okay. But money's not going to give this guy his legs back, is it? Or his life. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate at the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter's response to this man is just very similar to Jesus saying, do you want to get well? Peter looked at this man, directed his gaze right at him and said, look at me. The man thinking he was going to get something. But what he got was Jesus. Not stuff. Not money. Not a quick fix. He got Christ. You say, oh, 
In this case, Christ was a quick fix. Sometimes He is. Sometimes He is. We'll dig at that a little bit more here in just a second. Christ is always the fix. And He chooses whether it's quick or eternal. This brings us to the next point of breaking the cycle. And I want to share a verse with you. Because as as we rejoice in this truth that only Jesus can break the cycle, hear these words in Hebrews 4. The writer said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The beautiful thing is that in the midst of this cycle of hurt, desperation, and sin, and hurt, desperation, and sin, we have a Savior who can break this cycle because He is someone who has experienced the hurt and the pain and the desperation. What you're feeling, what you're experiencing, is not lost on Christ. This is something that is very real and close to His heart. This is who He is. God made flesh. So point two in breaking this cycle, not only is it's only Jesus who can break the cycle, but only Jesus who can truly heal. Only Jesus can truly heal in your life. This is great. When I studied this conversation here between these two, Jesus and this man, Jesus' words are so full of authority. When He breaks the cycle and heals this man, He does it as Creator God. He does it as the God who formed Adam and Eve out of dust. He does it as the Creator God who in seven days created this whole entire world and the universe and everything in it. He says to the man, get up. The first thing he says to him, get up. This guy's like, can somebody carry me to the water? And Jesus says, get up. Now think about it from this man's perspective. How ridiculous. I am telling him I can't get to the water. And this strange man is telling me, get up. So what do you do when the creator of the world tells you to get up and you haven't been able to use your legs for 38 years? Apparently you get up. But not get up the way you're thinking. The word here for get up is a Greek word, agero. It's akin to you going into your teenage son's or daughter's bedroom trying to get them ready for school and screaming at them, get up! It goes deeper. This isn't get up like simply stand to your feet. This is get rise up from your slumber is what this word means. You see the difference? Jesus isn't just telling this man, hey, stand on your feet. Jesus is telling this man basically, get past this. You've been deceived. You are weakened in a place greater than your legs. Get up. And then he says to him, pick up your mat. And then he says, walk. Isn't that kind of funny? Get up and walk. Peripateo. It's much like um, if you go with your teenage son or daughter to the to the shoe store. And you they try on shoes, and if you're like my son, you just kind of stand there, look in the mirror, make the most important thing is that they have the right logo on them and that they look good. And eventually, as a parent, what do you have to tell your child to do? Walk around. Go walk around. How do they feel? Are they sliding? Are they too big? Are they too small? And your teenage son or daughter is going, no, they're good. No, walk, walk. That's what this word is. 
It's para, which means around, is the preposition in Greek for around. Pateo, meaning walk. Jesus is saying to this man, not just walk, he's saying walk around. Why would he tell him, instead of just walk, he's telling him walk around. Why? I want you to show everybody that you have new legs. I want you to show everybody, prove what has happened to you. Think about this. Jesus chose to do this on the Sabbath. He could have done it any other day of the week. And we see from the future response of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, this smacks to the fact that there is no healing, there's no grace, there's no future in empty religions and tradition. These guys were worried about whether he was walking and carrying his mat and doing work on the Sabbath. And then you have the Lord Jesus who's commanding him, walk. Go as far as you want. Show everybody. Got new legs, Forrest. Go show everybody what's going on. Why would he bother to do that? Because it irritated the snot out of the religious leaders who were watching everything that this guy was doing. At the heart of this miracle is, do you want to get well? But also at the heart of this miracle is the Sabbath. Here's the deal. We said it a second ago. Healing only comes from Christ. And this is a biblical truth you need to get this morning. Listen to this. Sometimes the healing is physical and immediate. Sometimes the healing is in your soul. Sometimes the thing that is healed the most is your perspective on who God is in your life. The reason this cycle will never get broken is not because you're sick or not sick. The reason this cycle will never get broken is because your view and perspective of who God is in your life needs to be healed. God may very well have allowed this man's physical affliction to continue, but his greater need was his perspective on who God really is is. And I love to hear the stories of people who have experienced deliverance from this cycle by being healed in Christ, even though their affliction may not have ever been taken away. And I think Ben has a video that I put up here, and I just want to show you this man's testimony just to kind of drive this point home. Go ahead, Ben. I think, I think I deal, deal with the uh, same, same disappointments people deal with when they don't, uh, don't, don't see things work the way they want them to work, or they don't, don't see God work the way, or to the degree that they want God to work. They know He's working in it, but they, they want, want to see so much more. When I was a young boy, I, I lost my hearing. Uh, some illness, and it involved a high fever, and uh, I lost about 75% of my hearing. And by the time I was in first grade, my teachers recognized that I wasn't hearing like everybody else. I went through a lot of tests. Consequently, I learned that I had uh, a hearing loss that's irreversible, so I'm profoundly dead, actually. Legally dead, you might say. At that time, I was equipped with hearing aids and the whole number of things. That the young boy, that, 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 that to me didn't make sense as I was growing up, to kind of be the object of ridicule, not measuring out to everybody else, and, and uh, to, to, to think, think that somehow something was inflicted on me, but God could have stopped to change that. Or he could have um, had that affliction happen to somebody else, maybe. Um, but it happened to me. I 
saying, God, God why don't you take, take this off of me? You can change this. You can change this immediately. And I've got him to do that. I began to walk with him. I began to realize that he was going to give me the ability to deal with it. So as I went through school and tried to you know, compete in the classroom where I couldn't hit the teacher. Compete on, compete on the athletic field where I couldn't hear the, the signals, couldn't hear the whistle being blown, etc. Uh, I began to trust him more to help me where I could do it. And in time, that became the way that I In time, I learned to speak more clearly. Even today, I can hear the words that I speak, so I have to practice speaking, but I found that it gave me the grace and strength to do that. It took a lot of time, but the time I began to look around and see people that were in worse shape than I was, and, and not feel sorry for myself anymore, but realize that maybe I got to encourage you. So that's the, that's the way that it began, and I began to see the comfort God gave me, help me The reliance I knew that I could count on, I relied on him, his power would be there. To turn around and encourage people. For me, that, that was the difference maker. Because it, uh, it was able to, it was me able to say to other people, God, God can help to do this. Because I've been there. And I'm, I'm experiencing that right now. And I can tell you, you get experiences too. But I really have come, come to the point of saying, even though I know he can, can, I'm not, not sure if I had the choice that I would ask him to take the hearing loss away. I'm not sure I would ask him to restore it fully. Because then a the whole door of ministry would be closed. Then a whole, uh, whole avenue of encouraging people would not really be there anymore. And uh, so I'm just going to leave it to him. It's just going to be people walking away walking. I am John Bitter, and I am second. I couldn't even imagine <clears throat> preaching on Sunday morning and not being able to hear a single word that I say. Maybe there's people listening to me that wish that they wouldn't hear a single word that I say. But this man's perspective is spot on. This man has been healed. So how do I know he's been healed? Because the affliction does not define him anymore. He's content for God to allow him to live with this affliction if it brings glory to Christ. That's the true sign of a person who has been healed. When you notice the works that Jesus does and the miracles and healings that he performs, it's for the purpose of bringing glory to him, to bringing attention to the gospel, to bringing forgiveness into people's lives. It's not just simply to help somebody feel better. That's a significant spiritual truth to grasp in life. And to come to the point where you say, my afflictions are fine by me, God, if they're fine by you, because I know that whatever you have for me is good. That's this man's perspective. Even in speaking about his own struggles, the Apostle Paul said exactly this in 2 Corinthians 12. As he was struggling with his own thorn in the flesh, he said, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. What a great attitude towards the person that has experienced real meaningful healing in their life. And then he went on in 2 Thessalonians to say, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and His powerful angels. This is an eternal perspective here in this verse. What, God, what, what Paul is saying is that if not immediate healing, we are guaranteed an eternal healing. And there will be eternal judgment. 
But your healing is coming, now or later. The choice is how you choose to live in the midst of that. Last point this morning, very significant one, as this conversation ends with this man. Only Jesus can break the cycle. Only Jesus can truly heal. And the last is this. Jesus sets us on a path of responsibility. After this cycle is broken, the Lord's desire for you and for me is to live a life of responsibility. That's why he tracks this guy down and he has a very peculiar comment for him. Do you remember that? After the, the Pharisees are like, uh, who healed you? Uh, the guy who told me to get up and walk. I mean, he's the guy who healed me. Well, you can't do that. You can't walk on the Sabbath. Bad, bad man for being healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus is withdrawn. Later, Jesus catches up to the guy and he says a very unsettling thing. He says to him, not, he's not like championing him, he's not putting his arm around him, saying, good for you, buddy, glad we could work this out together. He says to him, now, don't sin anymore so nothing worse happens to you. Think about that. The guy, if I was the guy, I'd be thinking to myself, 38 years I've had no legs. And you're telling me something worse? What worse could happen to me than 38 years of being an invalid? You tell me. Biblically, you can think of one thing. Eternal hell is a lot worse than going 38 years without your legs. It's sobering to think of what might be worse in 38 years. Yet this statement from Jesus alludes to one of two biblical truths. Some sins, it is possible, some sins in our life, whether believer or unbeliever, can lead to horrendous consequences. The Bible even says that there are sins which lead unto death. If you don't think that there are some sins that we can commit that can lead to horrendous consequences, just ask Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. They deceived the Holy Spirit, and God struck them dead where they stood in front of the apostle Peter. Sometimes Jesus breaks this cycle, and we willingly choose to step right back into it even worse. I know people like that. I don't understand if they've experienced deliverance, why they choose to step back into the same cycle, but they do. And normally what you see is the second crash, the second pain is horrendously worse than the first. We see this in the case of David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba in Psalm 32. Verses 3 and 4. David cries out, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. That sounds like a miserable life. When you choose to continue in sin, the Lord's hand comes heavy upon you to the point where it's more miserable to be outside the will of God than it is to be afflicted with a fleshly affliction. The scariest place to be is outside the will of God. We see in the New Testament in the case of Paul's words to the church in Corinth regarding their horrendous behavior during the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11.30, 29 and 30, he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Here he said, I mean, it's not, this isn't code for anything. What he's saying is, some of you have come to the Lord's table with sinful attitudes or behaviors. You've drunk judgment onto yourself and the Lord has allowed you to be afflicted and to die. 
Some of you have, he's actually allowed to die because of your misbehavior with regard to the Lord's Supper. That's why as a pastor, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's so significant and deep in my heart to, to communicate to everybody that you do not need to eat or drink this if your heart is not in the right place with Christ and your heart is in the, not, in the right place with the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters. If there is sin that you have against one another, if your heart is hard towards one another, if your heart is hard towards God, if you're being disobedient to the Lord in sin, do not partake of this meal. Because God has a history of disciplining and wiping people out who have done just that. You drink judgment upon yourself. So the point of all this is that there are sins that are irresponsible when we enter back into this cycle and God judges even deeper and harsher. Willful, unrepentant sin also, the Bible teaches, leads all of us to the place of eternal judgment unless unless we receive the forgiveness, we repent of our sins and receive the forgiveness that comes only through Jesus Christ. Despite Jesus' healing and warning, unfortunately this man seems to find greater concern in the pressure of the Jewish leaders. He puts Jesus' name to the Sabbath healing, so now the religious leaders know who this man is that's healing on the Sabbath. And in some respects, I think this man who received this healing is a good example of in the parable of the four soils, the rocky soil. This is a guy who, well, let's read it. Mark 4, Jesus says this. He said, and these are the ones who, talking about the word of life, the word of life was sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Jesus saw this in this man. He knew that once the, the word of the Pharisees, and once they began to demand of him an answer, he would fail. And his response to him is, careful, see that you sin no more, so that something worse doesn't come upon you. When Jesus speaks of those who are abiding in Him, He said, remain in Me or abide in Me and I in you. And He seals those people with His Holy Spirit. We do read a great promise though in John 14. Jesus tells His disciples, He says, Yet in a little while, and the world will see Me no more, but you will see Me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in Me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father also, the Father who sent me. I think there's a hard biblical truth here about this man's healing. This man was not healed because of his faith. This man was healed because Christ wanted to heal him. Wanted to prove a point. This man, I'd, from his behavior after the healing, it's hard to say whether he remained or abided in Christ at this point. We know that he sold out Jesus quickly when the pressure from the Pharisees began to build upon him. What Jesus is saying in His words here in John 14 is that for a person who truly has broken this cycle, this person is the person who remains in Me, abides in Me, and their life looks like a life of responsibility in Me. They can't get enough of Me. They want to live for Me. They want to keep My words. Their words are what fuel them and fire them. 
this truth about who I am in Christ is something that burns inside of them and that they have to get into everybody else. They say about their life, damn the consequences of following Christ. For me, all that I have is Christ. That's the symbol of a person who has truly been healed. This guy received physical healing, temporal, temporal. Because what Jesus saw coming down the tracks was a healing that this man probably was not going to experience, which was eternal healing in his life. Sadly, I don't think this man fully accepted the cycle breaker of Jesus by faith. He was unrooted and on his own was left to enter back into the cycle long term again. That's what's dangerous about people who claim to be faith healers, people who claim that if we can, ju- if you just confess something, then the healing will happen in your life. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that if you have a certain level of faith, you'll be healed of physical affirmity. That is a lie straight from hell. Jesus and His desire in our life is to do what He sovereignly desires and by faith for us to accept that and abide in Him in that. And in the abiding in Him is true healing and peace. I don't know if your marriage is ever going to be fixed. I don't know if your physical affliction is ever going to go away. But I do know this, there is a purpose and identity in your life that can bring healing that may never ever result in those tangible things that you want healed. Because you can just enter back into this cycle over and over again. But when you abide in Christ, the cycle can be broken and you can find purpose and identity and healing that is eternal. This life, the Bible says, is but a vapor. The stuff you think is so overwhelming and difficult that you can't even get out of bed tomorrow to deal with it is nothing, not even a drop in the bucket compared to the torment and struggle and persecution and judgment and anger and wrath of God that awaits everybody who dies without Christ. Jesus did not come to be a faith healer. Jesus came to be a soul saver. That's ultimate healing. So if you're here this morning, and I pray that you are not struggling with something. I pray that your life is hunky-dory, but I'm pretty sure it's not if it's like mine. But you have to find that thing that you live for that's greater than the constant cycle of afflictions that are going to come your way. The only way to break that is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and live for something more than simply the tangible problems that you have in the here and now. Find your identity in something other than your affliction. Find it in Christ, and let's break this cycle of dysfunctional healing. Let's go to the Lord.